You're listening to the Poster Boy Podcast. Our mission is to help young entrepreneurs in small town America start, grow, and manage 21st century businesses. Are you ready? Let's get started. Hey, this is Chad. Hey, and this is Drew. Today we have another quote. Chad, what's that quote for today? All right. The quote is by Michael Gerber, and it says, if you have, if your business requires your presence, you don't have a business, you have a job. Oh, man. That is painful and prescient at the moment <laughs> <laughs> with, with where I am in my business. It, it, you know, like I've thought this very thing recently, showing up at eight and clocking out at five at my own job, uh, I think... I think this this specific episode is probably going to go a lot of fun different places because that's a that's a dang good quote. Chad, what's the origin story or what's your what's your perspective on this quote? Man, you know, a good question. I think for me, for a long time, this was definitely my reality. You know, I thought I think whenever you start out in business and I'm sure, Drew, you're going to be able to relate to this, that you you think no one can do something as well as you can do it. And I think the reason that that's the case is because by the time you're actually ready to hire, you've spent so many hours working on this problem or this business or these systems that probably aren't very good in the first place. And you know them really well. And so the process is painful when teaching someone something from scratch. And so what ends up happening is that you end up thinking you can do everything and you end up working yourself. I mean, you just work more hours than are actually necessary. Man. Well, the, the good and the bad out of that statement is if it happened to you and it's happening to me, then is it, isn't it just a normal part of business? Is that something that you think people maybe starting a business, they think to themselves, how do I start a business not thinking this way or believing this way? Or is it just, it's part of the growing pains. Yeah, I, you know, I, I can tell you this. I think if I were to start another business tomorrow, um, I would definitely, I mean, my number one objective is to remember what I do best. And what I do best is not, you know, day-to-day data entry and tactical things. What right. I do best is vision and planning because I think that's part of, you know, whenever you're building a company, and this is from my personal experience, obviously I can't speak for everyone, but when you're building a company, People underestimate the vision. They drastically underestimate how important it is to see where you want this business to go. And then understanding that really what's the next action required to chip away at this goal. And, you know, if our, let's say, Drew, you and I are starting a company and our goal is to do a million dollars. And let's say just for, to make it easy, we do $10,000 a customer. So obviously we need 100 customers to do a million dollars. Well, the first objective is to how do we get customer number one? And then once we get customer number one, our next action is to get customer number two, you know, and it's, it's not making it so daunting that we can't do it. And I think you do it the same way. Like I, I, this is how I did it for myself. Okay. What are all the things I'm doing in a day? Write them down, everything I'm doing. And, you know, I think a, a real eye opener was there. There's a girl that um, has worked with me for years. Definitely consider her a partner. Um, by far, one of my most trusted confidants. And, you know, one day she said to me, she made it. She was being funny and she made a joke and she goes, I don't know how you do this business without me. 
you know, and it's funny because I laughed and what I said was, well, you don't, you don't want to make me try because like, I think it's important to remember that <laughs> a business is processes that are performed by people. Yep. And if the processes are good, I mean, look, I like to think that that we're we're not idiots, Drew. But at the end of the day, if we're the only people in the world that are capable of doing what we're doing, number one, we're not charging enough. And number two, <laughs> we have a terrible, terrible business. Yeah, because it will always require us. You know, I, I think there's probably one difference, though, because there's a lot of different stripes and flavors of people who are starting businesses. I mean, there could be the person who is just you know, living their life as a freelancer or a solopreneur, right? Where they literally can't. I, I know a, a good friend of mine, Brittany, and uh, we worked at a company years ago and she was laid off. And, and within a year, she was her own graphic design company. And she was making way more money, setting way more of her schedule. And, you know, like we'll, we'll hang out. And I, I'd mentioned to her, I said, you know, why, why don't you offshore some of your low level production? Like you do the first round of design you find a junior designer to do the revisions after that, you know, I mean, anyone can move something up into the left five pixels, you know, just low thought, low effort, get more of your time back. And she wasn't interested in that. She totally loved just being a part of every part of the process and, you know, being her own business, but that's solopreneurship, right? That's not someone saying I'm going to grow a 15 person business. And then you still have the CEO who is, you know, the CEO died, then no one would be able to fill his place or her place, um, you know, because they're too stuck doing tactical things. And that's something that we are, that we are at our company, but more, uh, but me more so now are trying to do is really trust people. And there was, there's something we've, we've worked with a handful of people that have come in to try to help us do like literally when I, when I've interviewed people to help, uh, help us do things. The first thing I say is I'm literally just going to give you everything I do wow them, impress them and give them a bit of a holy shit mo moment <laughs> right in the front, you know, <laughs> but then, you know, like to, to many of them, I, I made a, a commitment and this is, I don't know, you tell me if this is good or bad, but the thing I've told them is I said, you can't ruin our business. You, if you, if you deal with a client or a project and it goes South, then it was going to go South either way. I mean, obviously not bringing on sure. people that can't do the job, right? But just giving people a sense of responsibility and emboldening them by saying it's your responsibility. And if it doesn't work, it's not because of you. It's because the process and the system is broken that enabled that yeah. project or that client to fail. That is me saying that out loud to them. And then me saying that to myself says is that this company will never grow if it's only just me doing these roles. Well, two things on that, uh, you know, back to your Brittany example, I think there's something important to remember, and it's that there's a very big difference in being self-employed and owning a business. And a lot of people confuse being self-employed with being business owners. And mm -hmm. if you are self-employed and you don't clock in, you will not get paid. And versus for me, if I don't do anything this entire week, I will still get paid. Yeah, because there are systems in place that generate revenue continuously. And that's that's the difference in for, I think that's the first level of understanding, you know, but um, to touch on what you were talking about with your company, I think something that me personally, I was very naive to in the beginning that I think really it drug out my situation of being 
so needed in the business longer than way longer than I needed to be was the lack of energy and effort I put into my training and my systems. So where it all changed was I, first of all, I read a book. I'm not sure if you remember Zappos founder. He actually passed away recently. His name's Tony Heisch. I think is how you say it. Um, incredible guy. It was called delivering happiness, but inside his book, he recommended a book and it was about, um, cultures within a business. And I don't remember the book title, and uh, maybe I can get it for the for the blog post for this. But he, in this book that I read, they talked about the most important thing any company has is not its people, is its its system that produces the next person. Because if you have a system that is capable of building all of the people that you currently have. It reminds them on a day in, day out basis that they're replaceable. It's not threatening, but it's it's a system that generates people. And they know if they start someone in the beginning of their training program and they get to the end of it, they're ready for whatever role it is that they're heading towards. Man. And they talk about the power of that. So like when you were, you know, um, and, and sorry, if you want to add to this, I just want to talk about something you said. So, you know, when yeah. you were talking about how you, you show these people and like, you know, you can't ruin the business, this and that, like, here's the thing at the end of the day, what you want to, to loot, to do is understand what processes do you actually go through for your business? And how do you know if you succeeded, you know? And so for me, it's, like whenever I was working events, okay, I had, I had issues with getting other people to be as successful as I was. And it's like, well, am I just that great? Like, is, is that really all this is? It's obviously right. not true. Right. Okay. It's by no means true. So then what I started figuring out were little things. Okay. What made me successful? Well, I set up one hour before the event started. I had a schedule printed on Wednesday. I reached out to my director the Monday, the week of the event to confirm everything. I used a Google aerial map to figure out where I wanted to set up before I got there. I knew the field layout before I got there. You know, I assessed the age groups before I got there. And there were all of these little bitty things that I was doing that all of a sudden when I started putting pen to paper, I go, man, you know, this is all in event preparation. And then when I'm at the event, how do I display my samples? How do I decide which team I'm making first? Like, you know, if I, let's say I I, I can only take two teams this round, even though I need six, but I, I, my time's limited, I can only take two. Who are you going to take? A team that has mixed match jerseys or a team where every jersey's identical and they're really first class and all of the parents have jerseys where their kids matching numbers on them, you know, and they've all got the can shakers where they're like super fans. And so all of a sudden for me, it was just a natural like it was natural instinct to always go to that team. Whereas for someone else, they're like, well, those guys seem way more serious. So I would rather go to the team where all the jerseys don't match because the coaches don't really care if I take the photo. Well, what right. was happening was those people don't buy. Yeah. And so it was all of this stuff, you know, and then at the end of it, it was like we we did this. I don't know if you've ever heard of the it's like a business terminology called the one degree difference. Mm -hmm. And I don't know what temperature water boils at, but let's just say it's 360 degrees. I don't know what it is, but they say at like 359 degrees, water's hot. But at 360, it can power a train. Right. Wow. And so it's the it's the extra. And so what I started figuring out was, OK, if I'm running five crews and all of my people, I'm saying, hey, as long as you're there till eight o'clock, that's fine. You can go home. Well, what I found was the minute eight o'clock hit, they were all gone. And but yet if, if these people stayed and they sold one extra poster a day 
times two days, you know, could potentially be, let's just call it to make easy numbers, $200 per crew. Well, then you do that times five crews, that's a thousand. And you do that times 52 weeks, you just put $52,000 in your pocket just from staying the extra 45 minutes till the games are over. Yeah. Wow. You know, and it became all of that. So like when you ask, how do you get out or how did I separate myself? Well, I looked at every single thing I did that made me successful. And I figured out like, how can I train this? Now, look, sometimes you have to have the right person. I won't lie to you and tell you that you don't have to be a people person. I mean, it'd be very difficult if you weren't a people person to excel in what we do. Right. But that's the only prerequisite that we had. Man. What what a what an enlightening enlightening story. Um, let's let's play with this idea a little bit. What is the purpose, or is there a difference between? Or man, how how do I say this? There's the owner of the company, and then there's the CEO of the company, right? Like sometimes they're the same, sometimes they're not the same. A CEO checks in often or not often, right? I guess I bring this up because I've worked at large companies that don't have this mindset or this thought. You know, it's yeah, like at some point they're so large that, uh, you know, functional departments, you know, they lack leadership and they lack hiring best practices. You know, like I, I know this is bridging on, you know, corporate America, but if we're building businesses that would one day be large enough to be considered large like this, right? They're going to have that level of complication. You as the owner are probably not concerned or thinking to yourself, oh man, I'm checking in or I'm checking out, but there's a lot of functional, there's a lot of, well, I guess the point I'm getting at, there's a lot of big companies that don't have this mindset put together. Yes, I would agree with you. And you know, when you talk about CEO versus owner, I think, I think where this really comes into play is if you have an owner who understands what he doesn't do well, and he's willing to hire it on. And sometimes what he does not well is manage the company itself. Maybe his passion, you know, if you think about like a Steve Jobs, his passion was in designing products. It wasn't building distribution. It wasn't setting up plants in China. You know, it, it wasn't that. Like Steve Jobs' passion was developing great products as an engineer. And so therefore he accepted what he excelled at and what he didn't excel at. So I think that that's that's kind of where, you know, that line can be drawn is what are you good at? And then if you aren't good at something, how determined are you to be good at it? Or is it not something that you have interest in? There was another agency that I would worked at years ago. It was a small four four team shop. And today I think they've got 20 or 30 employees. Phenomenal of success. And I remember seeing something come across LinkedIn that a CEO had been hired for that company. And I was like, whoa, like the, the guy that had hired me, cause I was employee number five, he, did he step down? You know, you get to sleuthing, you get to looking around and you realize like the guy who had started the company probably he, you know, he was like hardcore into agency marketing strategy and branding and concepting. And then you've got this person that they've hired who was like legit, you know, senior leadership, senior executive material, right? And there, there's probably a distinction there between being able to, you know, manage the growth of an organization versus knowing that you set something up through processes that established, you know, the role of a CEO that could then fill that unit, right? That, that seat. And um, I don't know, it's like, I, I guess in my mind, I'm jumping between my moment right now of being small 
nimble, painful <laughs> than, you know, where, where you are in your company, which I, th- I think you described, you know, quite recently, if you don't, if, if you, you know, people, w- people might look up two weeks from now and ask themselves, where's Chad? Is he okay? You know, proof of life check. Yeah. But then there's companies that are so large where it's just become so bureaucratic. Um, I guess I'm just zeroing in on, you know, like at some point, you know, as the owner, you have the privilege of saying, if the business requires your your presence, then, you know, you don't have a business, you have a job. But at some point, you know, maybe I'm just thinking too much about the under about the underlings. Well, you know, I think it's I think it's interesting that you took this approach with this quote, though, and I think it's important to realize, like, you know, most businesses, Drew, in all honesty, have a ton of inefficiencies built in. And, you know, one of the I mean, I read an article recently about, you know, just the the ex- the amount of people that watch Netflix or the amount of time spent wasted in meetings and, you know, things along those oh, yeah. lines. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, I, and I read a lot about meetings because I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm actually not a fan of meetings at all. Like oh, really the way I, not at all, like not even 1%. I don't like them. I, I find them to be highly, highly inefficient. And I think about, 80% of the meeting is always spent talking about things that don't matter. And for me, like the number one thing I cherish in my life over, I mean, just the number one currency for me is time. And if you want to go hang out, let's go hang out. But if you want to call a meeting to hang out, not my thing. You know, I'll determine if I want to go hang out, but I have things that I'm working on and you have things that you're working on. And if you need my input, send me a quick email. You know, we use Slack internally. You can Slack me. And if I, you know, if it needs a response, it'll get one. And if I need to have a meeting, then we'll have one. But, you know, Drew, something lately I've not struggled with, but I've been very, very mindful of is people doing things to stay busy versus productive. Hmm. And, you know, I think that that right there is the difference. Like, you know, going back to the quote, if it requires your presence, you don't have a business, you have a job. Well, you will never be able to step away from your business if you can't handle not doing like if you can't just be productive and be done. Yeah. Like for me, I can wake up in the morning and in two hours I can, you know, while my kids, my wife are sleeping, I can sit in my desk outside answer my emails that I need, which is the first thing I do in the morning to determine if I have anything that came up out of nowhere that I need to address. And then from there, I have my list of things to do. And I have my next action that needs to be done for each one of those projects that are on my list. And once I check those off, I am okay being done. Yeah. You know, it's okay. Powerful. No, that that's, that's powerful. And you know, again, it speaks to the maturity of, of your business and, um, man, not, not to take it off too wild of a tangent, yeah, but okay. you know, about meetings, right. About meetings. <laughs> I can, I know I, I have to, I have to, because yeah, my, my life is a series of subsequent meetings. There was, there was a revelation I had, uh, you know, recently, but m- more so just hearing you say your unique perspective on meetings about, measuring the efficiency of a company. I had two instances lately. One was um, someone was trying to invite me to a meeting to solve a problem that I simply asked them, could you describe the problem in email? 
and they did and I fixed it and they still required the meeting for me to basically tell them what I had fixed, right? Like that tells me that there's some just communication if inefficiencies there. And then I had in that same week, another meeting with a company who they brought seven employees on that meeting when, you know, in agency circles, right? Like every, every single person is typically a billable unit, right? Like they've got allocated time and required time to bill. Sure. That phone call cost that client about $1,500 for a meeting. <laughs> if every single Good. person's billing their time. And I just yeah. look at that company and think to myself, my goodness, like, I don't want to be that big. <laughs> I don't want to be that yeah. inefficient to need seven to 10 people on a phone call just to solve a single innocent enough problem. Right. <laughs> you know, side tangent over. <laughs> well, Drew, hang on. I, I need to yeah. add to this because yeah, please. Um, one of my favorite books of all time is The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss. And, uh, you know, I hope one day Tim Ferriss listens to our podcast and reaches out to us. But I absolutely think that the way he has chosen to live is really admirable. But something he pointed out to me in that book, obviously not to me, but something I really took from this book was he said that when when someone says they want to have a meeting with him, he says, hey, sounds great. Can you send me all of the things we're going to discuss in the meeting um, in an email? So that way I have an opportunity to look it over before. Uh, so this way I know how much time I need to allocate. And he said 99 out of 100 times the meeting is completely unnecessary and he never has it because he has them email him. He says, hey, would love to jump on a call with you. Could you just do me a favor and shoot me an email with the topics? That way I know what I'm looking for. But he said he has it as a canned response. He uses Gmail and he has it as a canned response. And uh, man, I'm about to go on a tangent on the things that I've done with him. I'm so sorry, Drew. You're just going to have to bear with me. <laughs> do it. Um, but so so he talks about and, and when when he explained this. I started doing it. Okay. When someone's like, Hey, Chad, can, can, you know, can we do lunch? Can, can you, can we chat in the morning when you get in? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Can you send me a, um, an email with all the things we're going to go over? And then 99 out of hundred times I can look at those emails or look at the email and just answer everything and say, Hey man, you know, I, I got it. I think I can just knock all this out in email. If you have any follow-ups, just shoot me an email back. And I save all of that. Well, then um, something else I learned from Tim that I thought was amazing was, you know, he spends his life and I obviously I definitely would say I, I've tried to mimic it as much as possible. I travel for extended periods of time to places away from my home. And, you know, one of the things that he talked about doing was his email and how he only answers or responds to emails and voicemails within a two hour time window every day. And so he is an autoresponder. So I actually hired someone on Upwork to build this autoresponder for me and then an auto labeler, and then it will auto pull emails back into my inbox, okay? So what it does is it, it says, hi, thank you for reaching out. We received your email. We want you to know that we respond to voicemails and emails between 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. Central Time each day. Um, you know, if, if you have not heard from us by this time, we will get to, or, you know, before this time, we will get to you during that, that time frame. And so here's the thing. Let's say I respond at 10 a.m. Well, they're thrilled, but they're not expecting a response until between 2 and 4 p.m. And so I have a customer service lady who works for us full time. And, um, but we took all the pressure off of her because now she can respond to things because they're getting an auto response. The minute it's sent, it instantly tells them this. 
And now that's the expectation that we set is this is when we take care of things and then we deliver on that promise. So therefore, they trust the system. Man, that is that is fantastic. You know, I've seen that before. I actually I, saw, I sent an email to someone. My goodness, it was years ago. And I'd received that exact same reply. Now I know who they were reading. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But dude, here's the thing. Honestly, Drew. Think about how liberating that is, because how like if you live in your inbox, which, you know, I obviously I don't know how much you know about this with my inbox, but I am like an inbox like I'm a ninja when it comes to oh, an inbox. Okay? Inbox I mean, is zero. Yes. Oh, yeah. It oh, is I zero at all times. OK, you know, and yep. I am like I use the getting things done by David Allen method of organizing my yeah. folders. And I am really, really diligent on this. But it's so liberating when I sit down and I do my emails for one hour and everyone I respond to, it doesn't matter if they respond to me. If you yeah. respond, great. If you need a response, you're going to get it between 2 and 4 p.m. Doesn't matter. Yep. yep. You know, I love it. and it's it is like the first step in, you know, if you live in an inbox, it takes your eight hour day or, you know, because a lot of people, and I'm sure you see this too. And when you, you you know, you worked at the large firm, the agency, people are always refreshing their inbox, refreshing their inbox. Well, you know what? Imagine if you just came in and did them between two and four and the rest of the day you spent doing what you need to do. <laughs> I've, I've, I'm like, I'm over here in my mind searching. Okay, great. When do I start doing this? <laughs> is, is it a, I, I think, I think Monday I start doing this because you're right. Like I am, it's almost at this point for me, at least some, like some level of OCD of sure. Like it's this, it's this gimmick I have, you know, because my inbox is filled with, you know, 20% spam and junk and, you know, messages I'll just delete immediately. And then, you know, about 60% of people who, you know, were in active motion on a project. And then the other 40% is, or 20% is just people that I get excited when I see their email, you know, it's a close colleague or a friend or someone. And my favorite thing to do is to just see how fast I can reply to an email. Like if I can keep the email has, you know, been around for, you know, under one minute and reply to them usually (laughs) blows their mind. I don't know. It's some weird, some weird mental gimmick. And, but I, but what you've said is, and I think this absolutely ties right into the quote today. What is, what is what I do? And I'm going to just use this very inwardly and, and maybe someone can pick it up and think about what they're doing, but inwardly, like what, what do I do at my, really it's boiled down to answering emails and solving problems like whack-a-mole, right? If, if I resolve to only answer my inbox between a two hour window, whenever I set that window to be, what would happen if I didn't show up until that two window started, that two hour window started? Like, would I really have been efficient or or inefficient? Would I have wasted time or been, you know, effective? What you're saying, I love to hear. And, you know, I think one of the hardest parts in the beginning is just being willing to commit to doing that because you'd be surprised how much like, and look, I, I know in your business, a lot of what you do, I'm assuming that you project off to other people that work with you or whatever, you know, I don't know. I mean, but a lot of it is, or you're just reviewing something or checking it. Like for me, let's say something comes in that, that has to get done and that I need to assign it to someone. You'd be surprised how fast you can go through an entire inbox. If it is undivided attention for two hours, yes, yes. that's it. Like undivided and you start at the bottom and you go to the top. You know, and look, if you find that you're getting 
By the way, Drew, this is another thing in stepping away from being required in your business. If you look at your inbox and every day or a weekly, consistently, at least weekly, biweekly or monthly, you are getting some of the similar like questions or emails. That is the first step that you have to figure out how to train because the responses are always similar, just different clients. They're always similar. Yeah, okay, you might have some rules like, oh, this guy has this hourly rate or this guy needs an explanation on this bill. Well, you know what? If, if it's that's all it is, you need to be able to explain to someone who's who can respond to that for you. You know, and then your inbox time can be from 10 a.m. to noon and you can forward all the stuff that needs to get done by whoever's working for you and let them take the rest of the day and take care of everything. But build your training around the content in your emails because look, they're, they, over time, as with all things, develop patterns. I'm over here. I'm over here, like <laughs> shaking my head, just thinking, like, <laughs> why, like, you know, like the highest level, like, why do I exist as a human being? All the way no, down to no, no, what, no, no, like, no. what, what the heck do I do at this company? If, if I can think about it like this, you know, because recently I mentioned this to you, you know, and maybe a while back that you know through us doing homeschool. You know, like we initially we were doing it after work. And then I just realized that after work, it was just, I was exhausted. I wasn't giving my, my kids 100%. I recently switched to doing it in the morning. And so I do homeschool between seven and 11 every morning. And I technically don't even show up to my work until uh, 11 o'clock. And I'm religious about checking out of my business slash J. OB um, at five o'clock, right? So I've already narrowed down my time to way less than what it was before. I guess the challenge here is, is, you know, again, back to this quote, if, if I look at my inbox and if other people look at their inbox and say, if this is the thing, that's the ball and chain, right? Then how do I minimize my impact? How do I maximize efficiency as a part of this one thing? And I'm just, I'm already just anecdotally going to tell you that I could probably get two hours of my day back every single day just by doing well, something like this. Yeah. And you know, something that you, you just pointed out that reminded me of something. Um, so I don't know if you've heard, you know, I told you I hate meetings, obviously. I just like despise them. But something that I always found interesting, and I want to say this, I heard this in college. They're like, look, if someone sets a meeting for, say, 60 minutes, it's going to last 60 minutes. Think about it. If someone says, hey, we're going to meet for an hour, they meet for an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Like there is people use the time allotted to determine what gets done. Whereas if you just say, hey, we need to we need to set up and this is what needs to be gone over. And when we're done, we're done. If it takes five minutes, it takes five minutes, it takes 10 minutes, it takes 10 minutes. It will never take 60 minutes because, first of all, the average attention span is like 18 minutes. So you're not going to keep someone's attention that long. It's just pointless. That, uh, it would change everything. <laughs> it would change your meeting schedule. It changes everything. It changes the way you delegate. You have to set the restrictions on yourself and trust that you're human and you'll figure it out. It absolutely, it absolutely would. And you know, and, and to that point you were making about, you know, email or uh, meetings and <laughs> them always mysteriously going on as long as I need to. One thing, one thing I got really familiar with early on was never letting a meeting go over its allotted time because so many times you'd have a meeting and 
you know, like you, you got to show up for 15 or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. And I, I typically try to do 15 minute connects, you know, just in 15 minutes, let's just run through whatever we're going to talk about or huddle real quick, you know, if we're doing some agency lingo, but you know, like the prospect of a 60 minute meeting is just painful, utterly painful. The idea of being distracted and then you got people in the meetings who aren't technically even supposed to be there and they're not even paying attention, but you know, like showing up to a meeting saying this is the only time you're getting because my time is valuable is a really, really valuable thing to say. But like, I don't know how it ended up in meetings, but the fact that my calendar is all meetings, which tells me that, you know, that's why my days are always so, you know, exhausting and long and, and sometimes unproductive that, you know, like that really is the thing that is the, air quotes requires your presence, you know, like if, if that's the thing in my business that I can eliminate or at least reduce to a finite maximum, you know, I, one hour of one hour of emails and one hour of meetings and my Calendly only has this slot, get it while it's hot, um, approach to it. Then why am I working more than two hours a day? You know, obviously, you know, easier said than done, but certainly that really resonates with the quote today. If your business requires your presence, you don't have a business, you have a job. Like that is, it ended up that way. And I think that was perfect. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, by the way, I'll just say this as a, as a little asterisk before we end this particular one. Um, just because you work two hours a day on or in your business or, you know, at whatever you're doing, it doesn't mean that you can't work the next six hours on your business. You just do things you want to do. You know, it's it, it doesn't mean that you have to check out like maybe you love what you do. I mean, I do I, and I enjoy working, but I will limit everything that is required of me and then I will only do things I want to do. And that's it. Like I will not work on a single thing that I don't want to work on. And I think that, you know, I always have this joke through that I've aged really well. And I say that just because I feel like I do because I don't have too many stresses going on, you know? Yeah, yeah. Man, so, the the thing you said many podcasts ago about I mean maybe it was one of some of our first ones about if you worked twice as hard in a year, you would be one year ahead of your next competitor. Yep. I think zero or pulling back on the tactical stuff and then giving more time back to yourself for the strategic stuff and doing the fun things like building out training process procedures, I think that's an exponential growth and ability to outperform and outpace any of your nearest competitors. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You know, and again, that's where, that's one of the things that really changed, you know, it helped us be able to shift into franchising, which you're very aware of. Um, it had everything to do with training. We built UTP university and had we have not taken the time to build out these processes and it took, dude, I mean, it took months to do this. You know, um, and every day. But, you know, how did we do it? We started out by just like you would do any day. We built out a schedule of what we needed and then we broke it down and who was responsible for which piece and how do we want it done and what's the standard going to be? And that's it. And then just go to town. I know that many of our listeners, you know, they're younger and maybe they don't understand some of the because a lot of what we've done has you know been applying or at least what, what, what I have been doing is applying my past experience in corporate America. And because I started my business, that was my only point of reference was what were these larger companies doing? 
you know, where were they inefficient? Where were they efficient? Trying to do better than what they were doing. The people who do come from corporate America, I think they're going to resonate with the getting time back. And maybe there's someone who's looking at, you know, just being more efficient in their job, you know, like showing up to get a paycheck, but you know, could you approach showing up at a job saying, you know, does this job really require my presence? You know, maybe in corporate America, I don't know if Chad's or if your employees or, or, you know, if I had an employee, well, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not correct, right? If I, if I could hire someone who was so efficient that they were able to generate enough revenue to cover their costs, but also produce immense amount of value that, what if they treated their time at their job as if they were entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial, whatever that that slang yeah. word is these days? I don't know, just yeah. a, an interesting turn of phrase uh, that I think a lot of people in corporate America will get. And uh, for those who are younger, just remember, um, it's cool to go hang out with your friends when they say they want to hang out, but it is not cool to go hang out in a lot of meetings. <laughs> I think yeah. it's, it's, it's not the same thing. Don't be tricked. Yeah, uh, but absolutely. maybe Chad, maybe Chad, we send people on uh, to the next podcast that I know we're all excited to to chat about. So what's the next quote going to be? Yeah, so we're going to keep it with uh, Tim Ferriss for next week. And it's the question you should be asking isn't what do I want or what are my goals, but what would excite me? This has been another episode of the Poster Boy podcast brought to you by utproducts.com. Find and follow us wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us at theposterboybook.com to grab your copy of the book.